If you have your word tonight, why don't you open up to 2 Chronicles, the 14th chapter. I'm going to read tonight out of the Amplified Bible. And if you're taking notes, you can title those notes, Finishing Strong, Finishing Strong. And if you just want to keep your finger in chapter 14, we're going to hop around a little bit tonight uh, throughout this story. So I'm going to start in 14. Verse 2, and it said, Asa did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and high places and tore down the pagan pillars and cut to pieces the ashram. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers to inquire of him and for him. I underlined that in my Bible. He didn't want to know what God wanted him to do. He wanted to know God too. He inquired of God, who are you? What are you? How have you created all of this and me and know my limits and still want to use me? And then he inquired for him. Now, Lord, what would you have me do? Wow, a lot of times I'll do one or the other, but I rarely do both in the same breath. Asa did that. And it said he, he sought him, he seeked him as a vital necessity. And he observed the law given to Moses and the commandment. And so your notes tonight, finishing strong. I'm going to start in a story about a, a king named Asa. Now I can relate to Asa in the way that he started his race. Because I can start a thing like nobody's business. Anybody here know how to start something strong? Maybe you know how to start an argument. Maybe you know how to start a diet. Maybe you know how to start, you know, whatever it is you're going to start. I can start like nobody's business. And Asa shows us the key to starting strong. A lot of you guys, how many of you guys have kids in school? School started on Monday, right? Yeah, I heard a mom say, yes, that's pretty funny. I'm right with you, mama. The only thing is this year, instead of one car line, I have two. Holy moly, that's different. But we started school, and the first day of school, I love it. The kids, their clothes look amazing. They got brand new tennis shoes on. They got, look at that smile. That's a we haven't started homework smile. <laughs> I mean, my kids were like so excited. It's 7.30 in the morning. Let's get to school. They are ready. And then we started things strong. And everybody's posting on Facebook. I sent, put my pictures on Facebook. Avery got a locker this year. Oh, my gosh. I didn't tell her I never could open my locker when I was in school. Like, I was, I, ne I carried every book they ever gave me because I was so scared I wouldn't be able to open that locker. I was not exactly popular <laughs> in school. And so she got a locker, and she is like hitting it on all cylinders, and I'm Facebooking all this and sharing all this with grandparents who live 2,000 miles away. But you know what? We never really see the post from day 100 of school. You know, right now, I'm cutting my children's sandwiches into cartoon characters. I'm telling you right now, in about six weeks' time, they may not even have a sandwich in their lunchbox. That's how desperate... It's going to be, it's going to be like $5, go pay the cafeteria lady. We will, we will get to that place. And so by about six weeks in, about day 100, whatever it is, this is what I look like. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that face is? That face is, what do you mean you have a science project due today? <laughs> Where are your shoes? Why don't you have on pants? You have to wear pants at school, okay? You said that, you told the teacher you'd bring what? 
We're bringing what to the class party? That's my expression at about day, day 100. I can start strong. I can start strong, but the wheels start getting a little wobbly for me the further I go along. Anybody relate to that? Well, I was thinking back, you know, how I kind of got my start right after college, right as I was leaving my parents' house, going to college. And I, I related to the story in Asa because I remember how he started. You know, Asa has been given the kingdom, and his father's died, and he's inheriting a throne that his great-grandfather was Solomon. His, his grandfather was a guy named Rehoboam, and his father was a guy named Abijah. And now here this young man is handed this throne and his first reaction, he's like, if I'm going to start this thing strong, if I'm going to start this thing right, God, I have to crave you like you are my soul's necessity. I have to have you and no other. And when I started out, when I started to read the word, when I started to devour the word of God, I didn't do it because I ever thought I'd be in full-time ministry. If you'd asked me five years ago or 10 years ago, well, Sarah Stevens, where do you think you're going to be? Do you think you're going to be in a thriving church in the Woodlands, Texas? I would have said, that sounds nice, but probably not. You know, I just didn't think that was my calling. I ended up turning to the Word of God out of desperation. I was pretty insecure. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I was the first in my family to go to college. My parents didn't have, you know, money or connections. Everything that I had to do, every door that I had to open, I had to either lean on God and also say, now, Lord, differentiate me from my peers because I'm not just a smart person, but I'm competing with a bunch of smart people. And unless you differentiate me from among my peers, I don't have a shot. My parents can't go call somebody. I can't go say, hey, I went to this Ivy League school. Lord, you have to make the difference for me. And I turned to the word of God because I was searching for confidence. I was devouring the word of God. I was craving God because I was like, Lord, if you don't, if you don't, nobody will. And that's how I started. And I relate to Asa in that because he's handed this throne and his first reaction is, Lord, if I've got to have you like I need the air in my lungs, if you don't, nobody will. And I relate to that. And it's not just the start, but it's the finish that counts. Amen? And so if you and I are going to finish strong, the start is important, and we're going to talk about that, but I want to talk about how we get to the finish line just as strong as we started on the tape. Amen? So if you're taking notes, my first thing, if we're going to finish strong, is that what you crave will command you. What you crave will command you. When I was pregnant with Avery, I have two children, they're 10 and 8 now, but when I was pregnant with Avery, I craved Taco Bell like it was nobody's business. Honest to goodness, I could say Nachos Bell Grande better than Isaiah Rangel and he's bilingual. Yo necesito uno Nachos Bel Grande, por favor. Like I could, I had it down. I craved it. It was so crazy, guys. I worked in Washington, D.C. I was eight and a half months pregnant. I would get in my car and I would drive to one of the roughest neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. It's in Anacostia. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. Yeah, you're all shaking your heads. You've heard it in the news. A lot of people don't come back. But anyway, <laughs> I would get in my car and drive to the only Taco Bell in the District of Columbia. It did not even, when you walked in, it didn't have a restaurant because they didn't want people hanging out there. You know what I mean? They didn't want you to eat your food in this restaurant. They wanted you to take it and run for your life. <laughs> and I walked into this Taco Bell, and it was like a normal Taco Bell, except it had bulletproof glass from the floor to the ceiling. 
I had to order my nachos bel grande in a hole the woman would open. And of course, I, I had to order like this because I'm eight and a half months pregnant. I can't lean forward. I want, yo necesito uno crunchy taco, por favor. And I, and I had to pay the money through a slot in a drawer, and she'd put the taco in a drawer and slide it back to me. You couldn't order anything that was above three inches high. No kidding, but I craved it. I had to have it. My husband was like, what are you doing? You are taking the life of our child in your hands. I said, baby's got to have tacos. <laughs> and he's like, I will take you someplace else. It's got to be Taco Bell. And I craved it. Anybody ever been there? Any, any ladies, you crave it. Some stuff you can't stand. I couldn't eat it in a Taco Bell right now if you paid me. I couldn't do it. I don't crave it anymore, but then I had to have it. Have you ever wanted God like that? <laughs> have you ever wanted God so bad that nothing else will do? You'll get in your car, you'll drive wherever you have to drive, you will do whatever you have to do. If it means you have to get up early or if it means you gotta stay up late, if you gotta listen to the Bible in your car, if you have to listen to praise and worship in between you know, your clients and the office, you gotta do whatever you gotta do because what you crave will end up commanding you. What you feed yourself will end up being the fuel you use to move forward. So we sit here and we're like, what we hunger. Hunger is a perfectly natural instinct. It's absolutely necessary. Your body is telling you it needs fuel. You know, I, if I skip lunch, my tummy is going to tell me, or my head, I'm going to get a headache. Hunger is completely necessary. It's a completely natural reflex. This is the deal. It's meant to strengthen you. It's meant to strengthen you. But if all you eat is ho-hos when you're hungry, that thing that was meant to strengthen you turns into a liability. If you are spiritually hungry, God has wired you up that way because he has a desire to fulfill you. He has a desire to satisfy you. But if you reach for something other than him, what was meant to strengthen you will turn into a liability. And what strengthens you is meant to fuel you into what he has for you next. The story of Asa, he has been consuming God. He has been craving God. And it's not enough just for him. He starts to lead the people around him. In chapter 15, you see him many, many times. In verse 2, he's telling the people, seek him, inquire for a and for and of him, craving him as your soul's first necessity. Verse 12, it says, yearn for him with all your heart's desire and with all your soul. Verse 15, they swore with all their hearts and sought him with their whole desire and were found by him. Asa's not content to just feed himself. He's got to feed the people around him. And that's why God's made you to crave it's not that he just wants to satisfy you and fill you up, but he knows that the people around you need good food. He knows that when you have found a good thing, you can't help but share it. And what you've been consuming, what you've been craving is the fuel God is going to use to take you through the next season he's appointed you to. Well, for 10 years, 10 years, Asa eats and he sups and he craves the things of God and then he faces a huge battle. And it's this million-man army. The Ethiopians are coming against him. Actually, Scripture says they couldn't even number the army. It was so big. They guessed it was about a million people. Asa is outnumbered two to one. 
And now everything that he's been consuming is about to be put on trial. Does he have what it takes to face this army? And when you read in chapter 14, verse 11, it says, Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none besides you. You help. And it makes no difference to you whether the one you help is mighty or powerless. Let that soak in on you. It makes no difference to God whether you are mighty or powerless. He is able to help whoever, whenever, anywhere. It says, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you and we go against this multitude in your name. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. What you are strengthening yourself with every day will come under a test. Make sure that it's fireproof. Ho-hos aren't going to help you finish a marathon. <laughs> that, your self-confidence will take you so far. Your charisma will get you so far. Your ability to logic and reason and create strategies will get you so far. But when the fire comes, they're going to vanish like this. And if you have not consumed what is eternal, then eternal things will not be able to break it. So we sit here and we say, you will rely on something every day, friends. You will rely on something every day. It's sort of like waking up every day and needing a car to get to work. There are things you rely on every day. Just make sure that you rely on God. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I have to discipline myself to seek his face first. Because if I get going before the, while the kids are up and I'm rolling and I'm rolling, it's 12.30 and I haven't prayed. And then it's like, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it, and it's 7.30 at night and I haven't prayed. And then I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it, and it's 9.30 at night and I haven't prayed. And Lord, I can't keep my eyes open. But I relied on something that day, didn't I? Because I got through the day. But did I rely on Him? That's the question. When you seek him first, you can trust that he is who you are relying on to the last. Seek him first, and you will know and have confidence that he is who you are relying on through the last. So the second point, if you're taking notes, what you crave will command you, number two, don't let rest turn to rust. Now, this is where I also identify with Asa. I don't necessarily struggle at the start, and I don't necessarily struggle in the fight. If something comes up against me, you can guarantee I'm going to have muscles on my teeth. I'm going to have TD Jakes on my iPad. I'm going to be like, Woo, calling down fire, right? Because I'm in the fight of my life. Where I typically get tripped is in my success. Because the success lulls me into a rest where I don't have to crave and lean on God as hard. It's the victory that kind of uh, trips me up a bit. And that rest can turn to rust. Asa, right after he comes out of that huge battle with the Ethiopians, he's, I mean, God wiped that army out. The only thing that Asa had to do was carry off the plunder. God fought for him, and a million-man army vanished from the face of the earth to a man like that. Asa had to just sit and watch. He comes back to Jerusalem, and the man of God meets him and says, Asa, continue to crave and seek the Lord. 
Continue to want him with your whole heart. You faced a huge victory. God has done this for you. As long as you seek him, he will be found by you. It's almost like God knows how we're wired up, right? He knows that once we get that little bit of victory, once we get that little bit of air between what was opposing us and, and ourselves, that we kind of go, whew, I got that done, thank you. And then we kind of go on autopilot, right? And the man of God is saying, Look, Asa, you got you to gotta stay on your guard. Stay hungry. Stay hungry for the things of God. Stay hungry like you did the first 10 years. Don't let it up. Stay after it. Stay after it. Stay after it. You know, 1 Peter 2.2, it says that like newborn babies, you should crave the pure spiritual milk that by it you may be nurtured and grow into salvation. When your baby doesn't want to eat, you know something's wrong with your baby, right? That's the first telltale sign as a mom that your child is not feeling well, is when that baby doesn't want to eat. You're like, now wait a second here. You've been eating every two hours straight. You know, what's going on here? Is your tummy upset? Are you running a fever? I know something's wrong with my husband when he doesn't want to eat. Oh, now wait a second, you must have had a bad day in the office because <laughs> a man runs on his stomach. If you, if you stop wanting to eat and you're from the South, we know you're sick <laughs> because food fixes everything. That's the truth. You know what I'm saying? There is nothing in this world fried chicken can't cure. <laughs> and so if you have a baby and your baby stops eating, if you lose your appetite, you know there's something wrong. It's the same way with us. When you're in a season of rest, if you've lost your appetite, that should be a warning to you. Hmm, something's wrong. Peter tells us, he says, like newborn babies, crave it. Crave it. I don't have to teach a baby to crave milk. I don't have to teach a baby, now you're going to want to eat every four to six hours. You're going to want, you know, to, to have solids at this age. You're going to want to have finger foods. At no, a baby's kind of like wired up and ready to go. You are too. From the minute the Lord saves you and redeems you, he puts that craving, he puts that hunger in you so that even in the rest, you still desire that spiritual milk. You're still hungry for that presence. You're still hungry for that, that friend that sticks closer than a brother. You still want to know him and of him and to read his word. And like Jeremiah says, for him to stand actively over you, watching to perfect his word in you. That's how you stand, ready, excited. So when you, the rust sets in when you look back to what God has done instead of forward to what he has for you. That's when you know you're getting a little bit rusty. When you talk about the good old days a little more than you say, now Lord, what do you have for me now? There's a parable that Jesus shared in Luke chapter 12 about the wealthy man who had very uh, abundant crops and he had a very, very successful agricultural business. And he said, what should I do? And he said, I know I'm going to tear down the old barns and put up new barns so I can hold even more stuff. And then I will sit back and tell my soul, rest, be at ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He wanted to just live off of what he had stored up from years past. And the parable Jesus taught said that the Lord came to him and said, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. You were not rich in your relationship with God. Luke chapter 12. 
the lesson for us is that we can't hoard his presence. We have to consume it daily. We have to consume it daily. The Israelites were taught to go gather manna every morning, every morning, every morning. And if they tried to skip a day and kind of, you know, gather twice as much the day before, it turned wormy. It's almost like God said, I want you to get up every day and seek me as your portion. I want you to get up every day and not just see me as the source of your physical bread. I want you to see me as the source of your spiritual bread. Don't try to to say, oh, I can coast this day. Get up every morning and seek me. Just like the parable Jesus taught. And the rest turns to rust when you go, hey, I can live off yesterday's revelation. I can live off that other guy's understanding. We read a lot of books about the Bible. I want to challenge you just to read the Bible. And it's a shortcut for me too. Sometimes I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of what the Hebrew says. I want to read another book about it. And I encourage you to read. I read prolifically. But I also want to challenge you. Read the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you your revelation. Ask him to show you what he meant when he wrote it. Dig down and put down good roots. And don't read a lot, but read consistent. A challenge that I personally have had is that I'm reading the word from the first chapter to the last chapter. Because the temptation I have is to kind of pick out the verses I like and meditate on them. I want to challenge you. As we go into this 21-day prayer intensive, Pray and seek his face like you never have before and consume his word like you never have before. Start in the first chapter, read a couple verses and say, now, Lord, what did you mean by this? And he will reveal it to you in ways you never thought possible, like the man who found a treasure and hid it in a field and then went and bought the field. You'll have things planted in your life you never knew existed. So when rest turns to rust, well, our friend Asa. 35 years go by, 35 years, and another enemy shows up. And Asa makes a different decision. His heart has changed in those 35 years. I don't know what happened, but something happened because he went from crying out to the living God to hiring out mercenaries. True story. This enemy was nothing like the Ethiopians. This enemy was not even comparable to a million-man army. But something in Asa's life changed. His craving changed. His heart changed. Rust set in because he went from crying out to God to hiring out someone else to fix his problems. The man of God comes to Asa and says, Asa, Why did you hire an army to fight for you when in your lifetime you've seen a God fight for you when when you were hardly known, when you had no way out? Why did you do this? And the prophet says something so profound, and it's a verse you've probably heard quoted a million times. And it's in 2 Chronicles 16.9. I'm going to read it. It's actually, I'm going to start in verse 7. Hananiah the seer came to Asa the king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Here's the verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong 
in behalf of those whose hearts are blameless towards him. When you chose Asa, strategy over sacrifice, you closed the door on allowing God to show himself strong. He was waiting for you. He wanted to take the Libyans out just like he took out the Ethiopians. He wanted to take the Syrians out just like he took out the Ethiopians. But you turned from being a crier of crying out to God to someone who wanted to hire out and have someone else fight for your battles. You know, that's the challenge for you and I. As believers, typically, we, we know good from evil. The Holy Spirit reveals that to us. That's not what trips us up. What we have to watch and be on guard for is that we hire out someone or something or lean on something to fight our battles for us instead of crying out to the living God. That's where we have to be jealous and cautious and careful to keep ourselves fresh and fervent and cultivating the very presence of God. My last closing point is this, that finishing strong isn't the same as finishing first. (laughs) Finishing strong is not the same thing as finishing first. You and I, we are going to stumble, we are going to trip, we are going to make choices that we regret. We are going to face all of those things. And sometimes we let that stop our race. Oh, well, can't finish now. I'm not going to be first. That's not what God's called you to. He's called you to faithfulness, not first. Just finish the race. Finish the race he's put you in. Let him show himself strong in you. He chose the weak things to confound the strong. He chose the foolish things to confound the wise. That's how he works. Finish your race. I was watching the Olympics. I was an Olympic junkie this past couple of weeks. Anybody with me? I love that stuff. Go USA. I cry every time they play the anthem. Make the kids stop and put their hand over their heart. I'm that kind of an American. And I found this clip, and I want to share it with you guys.
the favored gold medalist in that event. 1992 Barcelona, I think I was in the sixth grade. I remember he was the favored gold medalist and he tears his hamstring 150 meters in and you see him kneel and it's like he's trying to decide what to do. Do I wait for the gurney to come and get me? Abs you absolutely have earned it. You tear your hamstring, that is a debilitating injury. But it's almost like he hears the crowd cheering. They're not cheering for the guy who won. The guy who won passed the finish line a long time ago. They're cheering for the guy who is still running his race. I want to encourage you that when you feel an injury coming on, when you feel like you've had your Achilles heel hit or your hamstring or something has knocked you to your knees, stay still for just a minute. Don't leave your race and let the crowd of heaven come around you. Let the people in your life group encourage you and cheer you on to stand up. I would rather limp with an injury with God than to run with two good feet from him. <laughs> I would rather limp with my father's arm around me than to finish first on my own two feet and will. You will finish stronger, you will finish better when you finish the race he's given you, when you finish what he set out for you to do.